I just think the standard in Australia is amazing. From right from the top cafes, the standard of food quality is unbelievable. Like I've recently just been back in the UK and Ireland, and you just don't you don't see it. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Sydney is known for its incredible beaches, ocean views and waterways, and there have been many venues come and go that take advantage of the incredible locations. Some, however, have lasted decades in iconic locations to not only become a key destination restaurant, but important to the culinary history of Sydney too. Alan O'Keefe is the head chef of Catalina in Rose Bay. Alan, how are you? Yeah, I'm all good. How are you? I'm good. It's great to get you on the show. You're um, part of a huge team in one of Sydney's most in influential restaurants. Um, what's things like there at the moment? Yeah, it's going really well. It's going great. Yeah, we're into our 29th year now. Um, it's yeah, it's it's great. It's um, it's still going extremely busy. We were uh, closed down recently for a bit of a renovation. Um, and as soon as we were opened, there was queues at the door literally to get in. Um, and it's been going extremely well. What's it like uh, being part of such an iconic venue that's, you know, been so influential over generations? Yeah, it is. I mean, I, obviously, I come from Ireland and I didn't obviously know much about the restaurant at all, but it's the first place I arrived from from a trip through Asia and literally had no money and had to get a job straight away so it was day one came and found it and um, they had an ad in the paper and I just um, went straight for it and met up with the head chef and um, I've been there ever since I've been actually 14 years now myself and um, started right at the bottom in there in the larder section and um, just fell in love with the place I mean it, it's just where it is is amazing just so where I trained back in Ireland where literally the kitchen in the hotel was under the car park like in the dungeons of the building and then to come to Sydney and be on one of the most beautiful harbours in in Australia is, is amazing it really is and yeah just fell in love with the place do, do you feel pressures given the sort of history of the family and the venue of sort of and the importance of the restaurant yeah yeah definitely was I get to come in at the start, and it was pretty intimidating. I mean, I met the owner at the time. It was still the same owners, but Michael McMahon was the was there um, when I started. He's unfortunately passed away now, but he was he was there right till the end, and he was he obviously knew a lot about it, the industry, but was quite um, I don't know how to say <laughs> he didn't mince his words. It was uh, yeah, it was very interesting to meet him the first time. Um, and you just learned, you just had to go on with it and try your best. I mean, I don't think he knew my name for the first four years I was there. He had to kind of just get stuck in. And and there, I do remember the first time when I was working in the kitchen and he started complaining. It was just as simple because I was in larder making just a tomato salad. And he came up and he was like, who the fuck put this shit on my plate? <laughs> I'm like, ooh, that's me. You know, get the f get this off the fucking zone and I obviously took it and I threw it in the bin. He's like, What are you throwing my fucking tomatoes in the bin for? And I'm like, Oh no. <laughs> Here we go. Um 
But he was just all about the just the standard that the produce and everything. He knew on the seat did. I've worked for some places where the owners didn't really have a clue, but he was all over everything new. Um, so it was better just to follow. And then after a while, when probably after five years when he started, um, God gained trust and then just kind of started, yeah, working well and got the sous chef role and then finally the head chef role. Give give us a sense of the scale of things there. So how many staff are we talking about? And, you know, how many people do you get through the venue in a week? Um, it's a big enough team. We've about between 20, 25 chefs in the kitchen. And, yeah, and then front of house between casual and full-time, there's probably another 50 altogether. It's, um, it's a big team. And it is, there's a lot of turnaround, a lot of turnaround. A lot of people can't. It's a busy restaurant. A lot of people can't keep up with the pace. Um. It is, and we'd probably do, between when it's busy during the summer, we're doing about 300 people a day. That's, yeah, it's around there. There's a lot of bigger venues in Sydney, but this is, we do three, it's all a set menu now, after COVID, that we have, we're doing, um, and it's, yeah, three courses for everyone. Um, so it's busy, and it's a, a pump, but it's, um, it's going pretty well, I have to say. There's, uh, there's a lot of very good people in there. You're um, leading the kitchen team and um, helping develop the menu as well. Is that different now, given that set menu thing? Tell us about sort of the menu development and what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's definitely given some new challenges um, because obviously before we were doing it, we were doing an a la carte menu that people just choose. But now it has to be. It's just more from a costume point of view that, that you can't price everything individually. It all has to kind of be spread and kind of balance in between each dish when people are paying a set price to try and get that and try and make each dish stand out for itself equally is a bit of a challenge. Um, but I think we've done quite well. And the, uh, we always find the vegan, vegetarian options quite difficult to try and justify the same to as what everyone else is having when they're not having the I mean expensive proteins and stuff that really does build up the cost of a dish. So we've actually instead of I know a lot of people and there's a lot of people at the moment kind of um and there's a famous Aussie chef that barred vegans from the restaurants, which is tempting sometimes. But um I think it's it's more of a challenge to actually get it done and, and um and do it right and make it put a big effort into it. Is, um, it's actually going to become a lot more rewarding. I had someone in last week, and he said it was the best vegan meal he's had in his whole life, which was great. It's great to see. Great to hear back. I want to explore a bit of the history of the, the building and also your food and what you're doing there at Catalina sort of shortly. But um, take us back to when you were young. Where, where did you grow up and what sort of role did food play for you? Um, I grew up in Dublin. And I didn't originally, I started a, after school, I always enjoyed cooking, but I was talked out of it by, <laughs> yeah, by my mom and by a few other family members saying that it's not, uh, just get, go to school, get a degree and, and do that. And I, so I did, I kind of followed that line and finished school and then went to college or uni, as you call it here, and I was doing marketing, but I just was not invested at all, I just don't, didn't, I'm still kind of doing stuff, always cook at home, um, and I did take a year off and go traveling, and I came back, I was like, no, I'm not going to do this anymore, I'm going to go, and um, uh, so I'm going to give cooking a try, and I did, I went to one of the, 
still is one of the best hotels in Dublin. It's called the Marion Hotel, and it, it yeah, it's and just applied for a job there as a as an um, apprentice and did a, a course in college as well, and started from there. And it was um yeah, it was tough. It was really tough. I did start. I remember going for the interview with the executive chef at the time, and he's like, "Why would you come here? It's one of the toughest." When you have no experience, and I was just like, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it right. I might as well learn now. And I think he kind of respected that answer and just went for it. It was, it was, um, that was a tough, very tough kitchen to work in. It's not like you can't behave like that anymore in kitchens, but it was, it was quite hard. But still, I think the passion and me wanting to do it kept me there, kept me learning. Do you have any stories of... Um you know what it was like in that kitchen for you and maybe what you learned yeah I, I mean there was some very very um tough people to work with i think um there was a few times i can still the the executive chef was not like was more like a kind of drill sergeant in the army than a, a chef he did he used to line us up in the morning and we all stood against the wall in the kitchen along the cool rooms and you check everything uh, like a uniforms, our neckties, shave, we weren't cleanly shaven. I mean, there's a few times I lived a bit far away. You'd get up really early in the morning, like shave and go to work. But by the time he'd go, you'd check it and everything, you know, I was up a bit. And he'd be like, what the fuck is this, young O'Keefe? Get out of my kitchen. <laughs> we sent down the road to get a razor and um, come back in. Um, I can still, honestly, I can still remember this here, his screams. <laughs> I still have some nights of him just losing it of... Um, yeah, he definitely controlled that kitchen very well. I mean, I learned a lot, and I learned a lot in my um, and teach me because there's a big, a big kind of discussion now of that. Is that style was that the only style of controlling and managing a kitchen? And I do remember him losing his and getting angry at everyone, and then screaming at the, the set guy in charge and the sous chef. I'm like, where were you? Where he didn't see it? Why didn't you see what was going on? And me kind of thinking to myself, why didn't you see it? <laughs> Where were you? You were sitting up in your office. And um, I do kind of have that day. It's like I'm a head chef and I don't, I think you catch it in the morning. If you're in the kitchen and you're walking around and you're checking everything and watching what's going on. And if something does go wrong in the past when the food comes up, it's part of your responsibility as well. To, that it's, it wasn't caught. Um, but it's still, I don't know, still sometimes then I think you see kitchens and some people can be very um, sensitive these days. You can't even have a discussion with people about making mistakes. And I think there's a balance there in between the, yeah. What were some of the sort of the important venues and people that you worked with as you started to build your career? Well, that was, I actually stuck in, in the Marion Hotel for four years and got the, got in and actually got qualified. And, um, then I decided to come to Australia and try. I was only a, I was only going to travel for a year and take a year out again, um, but didn't. I ended up working in Catalina, and then I took six months off to go and work down in Melbourne, and I worked with another very interesting chef down there. Um, it was a great restaurant, though. He was a great chef, and it was a two-out restaurant, I think, at the time. But he was a very intimidating chef as well I mean the first time I met him um, we were all in the kitchen and the first time I met him I'm sorry there will be a bit of bad language in this but I've just listened to your Gordon Ramsay one so I don't think you're too worried about that <laughs> um, he did he came into the kitchen 
And uh, they were all saying, all right, like, you'd feel the tension of everyone in the kitchen waiting. He's like, our oh, chef's coming, chef's coming. And he comes in, bursts the door. <laughs> he's like, I've never seen a big room full of so much guns in my time, apart from that re- that brothel I was in in Thailand. At least they were good to look at. And everyone just like goes around and it's like that. It's me. He's like, no, I don't like this. Isn't um, this isn't the way you should do it and talk to people and and uh, it's uh, I didn't. I, I worked there for the six months just to see, and I was offered to to stay on uh, but, but I felt it one way just I had to pick up some sponsorship to stay over here so it's like I don't want to feel like silent your soul away to work for something like that for four years and everything so I gave the owners of Catalina a call again to see if they wanted to do it and then just came came back um, apart from any other places I kind of just went around myself in back in Ireland worked in some small restaurants and stuff cooked at home a lot just this role has probably been my most and I think sticking to the same place has been so much better because you can develop while you're there so how much has the restaurant changed in the period of time that you've been there yeah, I def- yeah it's changed a good bit we um you have to keep on changing and the, I just think the standard in Australia is amazing from right from the top not only right from the top but cafes and Everything like the standard of, of food quality is unbelievable. Like I've recently just been back in the UK and Ireland, and you just don't you don't see it. It's just not not insulting the industry over there or anything, but I just think Sydney, especially and Melbourne and everything, there's so much that goes into it, and it's just yeah, the standards are so high. So to keep up with that constantly is always a challenge. Um, I do. I think every time with the menus, since I've taken over, I always try to go move up a notch each time and not just rest. Every time we do a new menu for each season, I kind of feel like I push it a little bit more and push the kitchen and then there's a little bit of pushback sometimes from chefs in the kitchen going, you know, it's okay now, but when we are doing 300 people on the weekend, it's not going to be so. I'm like, well, we can do it though. Like if it really is going to be a problem, we might scale back, but... If we can do it, there's no point. There's no point in doing all this if we're not trying our best. So I think that's um, part of it. Tell us about. Um, you mentioned the benefits of working in sort of one venue for quite a long period of time. T- tell us how you've changed and what the benefits have been over the sort of fourteen, fifteen years that you've been there. I think one of the main things is it makes you um, watch your own progression and the way you behave yourself as opposed to sticking to different environments so I feel that you go in you kind of find a way and you find I know it's hard to explain you're just going to go with the the flow of restaurants but when you're I found myself the hardest part was to to keep myself progressing and watching especially when you become a head chef and no one's screaming at you anymore apart from the owners to regulate yourself and to keep on pushing and and everything is is a lot more of a challenge to, to keep all your food relevant and interesting is what I mean I think it is it really forces you to push and keep on going as opposed to just moving to a new venue and taking what you can from there it makes you actually um, produce a lot better that's what I think I mean by that 
you work closely with the executive chef, um, Mark, there. Tell us a little bit about him and how your roles work together. Yeah, he's um, he's been there a long time. Yeah, we get on very well. Um, we kind of, um, we've separated the the roles a bit. Like obviously, he was there in the kitchen and I was getting advice, but there's with the kitchen and the big team, there's a lot of admin and there's a lot of stuff to be done in the office. Um, he's kind of my, the kind of the, would he tell me, I might go a bit too crazy sometimes with some ideas of what we can do or what we can achieve, and he's the one that kind of helps me pull it back in and go, maybe just rethink that one, because <laughs> you might not, um, yeah, of like filleting fish at a table and then putting it when it's a huge, huge day, or any type of ideas I might have, um, he definitely would. We're very good at, at trying stuff together and discussing. Um, and we're very similar ideas and tastes of the way it should go. Um, I do think, yeah, it's our, our relationship, which is that we can work quite well together, has helped very well. So we both agree in the same style of of management. We don't come in and we don't just lose our minds. Front nothing. We can help people and are there from the start and don't have that style of kitchen and it definitely is I think it's a great it's a great kitchen to work in because I remember I used to go and it was dreading being in there you were working and just on edge the whole time so actually I feel if it's a kitchen that you're working in you're spending 50-60 hours a week in there why why not try and make it an environment that people want to be in as opposed to that so we both definitely agree with that Tell us a little bit about the the food there at, at Catalina, and is there a couple of dishes that you can take us? Through? Um, yeah, we kind of have a kind of under the modern Australian um, heading. We do we have a lot of different stuff. We definitely get a lot of Mediterranean influences. Um, me being from Europe, I was always very interested in French, Italian, um, Spanish that style of cooking. But when we come over here, you see this huge amount of and so much diversity. We do, on the menu now, there's so many different influences from, we have a Japanese-style tartare dish, and then we have um, some old-school French dishes, a serving a marron with a beurre blanc, and yeah, you kind of pull from everywhere, um, but still nicely balanced, I, I reckon. Um, there's no real, I don't think we have much boundaries what we're, we're going to do if we can... Um, I don't think we just label ourselves. If it's good, we've got a lot of people in the kitchen as well from different backgrounds that can influence. And um, there, we just kind of strive for the quality more than more than anything, more than the style. And we've really good relationships with our suppliers. We get some the seafood; it's amazing that we can get in and we get deliveries every day. Like I talk, I talk to him more on the phone. Then anyway, even my own wife, <laughs> the, the fishmonger is usually the first person I talk to in the morning. Um, I think my wife gets pretty jealous. <laughs> she's, she's like, your boyfriend's on the phone again. Um, as we do, we talk about three or four times a day, exactly telling us what's in, what's good, what we should be getting. Um, and that's kind of where more we focus it on the quality is there, is there a dish or two that you can take us through that sort of exemplifies your food and sort of what you're doing there at catalina um yeah we've had so many over the years but i think there's one there's a few dishes that 
are, have been on for a good while that we can't take off. And one of them I'd say isn't mine. There's a, a snapper dish and it literally has been on since the start of Catalina's time. And it's a very extremely simple dish. We get in the fresh snapper in the morning, fill it and debone obviously and everything and it's just cooked with a garlic mash and a lemon caper bar blanc and it's delicious you can't argue with it you can't everyone loves it and it's probably one of the most popular ones we have on the menu but it kind of frustrates me a little bit in a way because it's just there and it can't be taken and it's like and sometimes if we we've so a big enough menu and if unfortunately the snapper isn't available we have to take it off and people come in and like lose their minds because <laughs> it's not there, the locals. Um, but it is, it's all about the quality of the fish that we get in and the way it's done. And I mean, sometimes simplicity done right is the best thing you can have. Um, so that's one. The I do have a steak tartare. I think that kind of defines from my background. I'm loving French food. We've done it as an entree. Um but instead, initially I started doing it because we were filleting and, and portioning our own tenderloins and we had all this beautiful premium meat left over and we we're going to try and do something. But because it got, when we went on and people were enjoying it so much, it's like this, I'm going to just get in. I'm getting in tenderloins just for this, just to make sure this is um, perfect. So we're dicing premium tenderloin and putting it on um, and serving just a tr traditional accompaniments like with cornichons and capers and onion and everything and then nice um, just the egg yolk that's presented at the table and then they mix at the table and I think it's really good people enjoy that but I do so I think we've had some French customers in and it's from that style of serving it with heaps of um, of bread to eat with it so my idea is it's only a small little disc of a, a sourdough crouton i serve with it just for the texture so you're actually going to taste the meat and taste all the accompaniments and it's not about filling up on the bread it's actually enjoying the um the, the so sometimes you get a bit of backlash to see ba, sorry backlash of from people saying that there's not enough to eat with that one but i'll stick and i'm going to be um and to be adamant that that's the way it's going to be done because that's you're actually going to taste the food itself as opposed to just filling up. So I think that one's kind of to find the way I, I cook and the way I like to present the food. Do you have any stories of the connections that you've made with producers or producers that you sort of like to stick to with the sort of vast menu that you have? Yeah, I would, since the I've been there, we've had the same a supplier from the fish markets. Um, they've been amazing. It's um the easy yeah, i think the not the same suppliers it's actually the people you have the connection with we we've used a few companies but when you get the a rep that you've been working with for so long and they leave and someone else comes and doesn't have the same relationship it makes you kind of think it makes you change and that's the only reason we've had some great people there's people that are just so into it and respond straight away and help you if they have the same passion as you it is that's the only way. So it's no bit. It's not the businesses. It's the people that you want. Um, some people are like even the meat. Our meat supplier at the moment. I could text him last night at like eleven o'clock, and he was straight back to me after I was doing the ordering. And I mean, that's oh, it's a big expectation of people, but it is. It's great to have people that care as much as you. Um, I also do. I've tried since we you were know, joining. Um, or being part of a good fish project. We've had. Um, and it's just trying to be smart about the uh, fish choices you're doing 
Uh, I really like that one because it's the app that comes with it informs you a lot more. It's not only just making the right choices. It's not only about the sustainability or like um, how much of the usually was only like stock quotas and stuff that would stop people from using some of it. But they take in everything into account of its effect on the environment, the fishing on all the other wildlife around and I think it's really interesting and it's 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 I think it's a really good guide and something we do need to be as chefs to be a lot more conscious about what we're using and what we're taking. As we all know, the last couple of years have sort of were turned upside down thanks to COVID and the pandemic. What's been some of the positive changes that you've had personally out of those circumstances and also the industry? Um, I think it did give us a time to stop and think. Uh, actually, where in Catalina, we didn't, we obviously, the restaurant was closed, but we ran a takeaway service. I was so su- surprised with uh, how busy it was and how many people were interested in in uh, actually coming down and getting, it was it was amazing. And it actually kept us all together as a team, which was great. And in that time, then we started developing and really talking about what we were doing, the excitement about reopening was was really good and we opened with a bang of and just like the um just really found it kind of more t- i think with before we we're just kind of going uh, along with the kind of going through the motions because we were so busy and everything but it actually did kind of form us again as a team between the managers and the owners and everyone we we're all there in the same building and um, when it was closed it was like a really good bonding experience for all of us and I think that's it. It was. I mean, I think definitely prefer that version. That some uh, because we didn't stop working pretty much. I felt we worked a little bit more going in every day. You mentioned you grew up in 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 Dublin and cut your teeth over there. How much have you changed uh, since you've moved to Australia and become part of the hospitality sector here? Um, I definitely. I'm not too sure, but I think the the way we, the type of food over here is some people are a lot more open to different styles of food and different. I think Ireland still can be quite closed to um, any introduction of some stuff. I don't. It's hard to hard to explain. You just try end up trying. Like there's some people in Dublin that would never have eaten sushi, <laughs> you know. So. And there's maybe that is like it's kind of broadened the whole experience a lot. But um, I do hate the idea that people think that Irish food is it's not like it's not really well known for. Um, it's in the, everyone just thinks we just eat potatoes and chips all the time. Um, but the the actual home cooking and the passion about food is is, is amazing. It really is. That's what I've learned. Some my biggest teachers and say it sounds really corny, but my mom was one of my best teaches cooking with her and the way she used to do it. and I still use some of her styles of before not even being trained she would everything when cooking like roasting a chicken would make sure she's deglazing everything and using and all like the boiled vegetables and the water from the vegetables goes into the gravy that's what you're deglazing with um, and stuff and it was just a kind of natural cooking style as opposed to something that's that's taught and i i always like that i always like what to be know to know why you're doing something i remember training in when i was in the marion in dublin and asking those very simple questions about um when they were poaching eggs it's like why do you put the vinegar in the water 
and the guy going, because if you don't, we'll be fucked, all right? <laughs> like, that's, I want to know why. I want to know why. Then you can develop and learn and and stuff. So I think that's that's um, that's always the way I've done. I always kind of go, like, why is this done? And I think if you learn the foundations of of where I was developed and why people are doing it, you can develop it yourself and use it a lot better. Um, Catalina's had an extraordinary longevity, as as you mentioned at the top of the show, sort of twenty nine years, and it's in a stunning location. What what do you think is so special about the restaurant and the offering? I think obviously I can't you can't go past with the venue where it is is obviously one of the biggest draws out of it. I think our role from the kitchen and from everyone else who works there is to match that, or not even a match to excel above that for people to come in and go we're coming but then to be shocked by the food and the service and everything i think that's what it is and i think they have done it for years have it's the standards the amount of attention that we put in we all talk about it when we get the feedback from the customers and we get everything like in reviews even the most ridiculous of reviews we get would still watch and make sure that it doesn't happen there's a lot of people that care i think that's it and they don't just ride off that idea that it is a destination venue and you're going to get people in you want to make sure they come in they're happy and they'll come back again well uh, you're part of an extraordinary uh, restaurant that's got it just the most incredible history um what do you love about what you do i i love the every day to go in and it can be a different type of day every day you go in we come up with some new ideas and you're not stuck doing the same thing over and over it's um I do love coming in, and I said at the, at the start, when I used to train in Ireland, I came in and you go into the dungeons in the basement, but here I'm, I come in and it's even looking today, going down, I was down this morning and just looking out of the harbour, it's a beautiful day, and it's, I think it's just an amazing place to be. Yeah, and it's, yeah, very happy with it. Well, Alan, it's uh, an honour to get you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a part of your story. Um, Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. All right. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Hug. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au and be well.